Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us today. We confess that we don't have all the answers, but as a community, we seek to find and follow Jesus and to discover daily the life he has always wanted for us. We hope this message will be encouraging and will inspire you to take the next steps on your spiritual journey. If we can help you in any way, please connect with us. The easiest way is through our website at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started. I'm a bit of a wimp when it comes to horror movies. My boys love to prod me about it, but my threshold for the scary and the disturbing is pretty low. I was raised in uh, Hillbilly Backwoods, and I, I really can't stomach very much. In fact, I don't like to hear or see anything that upsets my uh, sensitive stomach or gets my vivid imagination going. I'm a person who gets deeply invested in the stories that I read, and my family watches me squirm and twitch even during just a run-of-the-mill adventure movie. Anyone with me on that? So imagine how much fun my boys had sitting with me through the Netflix series, The Haunting of Hill House. <laughs> they had already seen the series once, and they, um, they began to beg and cajole and otherwise shame me into finally sitting down and watching it with them. They leveraged my weak point, which they know is my weak point, and they kept telling me, Dad, it's a really well-told story. And I was also starting to feel like my manhood was being questioned. And so we sat down to watch it. And it became clear by their laughter throughout that they found it way more entertaining watching me watching that than it was for them to watch it the second time. I don't like disturbing things. Which is why I approach our master class today. That's what the big M is for, master class. I approach our master class today with a sense of dread, feeling a little off kilter, fighting back a bit of a twitch. Because Jesus' teaching in Luke chapter 6, verses 17 through 26 is, well, there's just no other way of putting it. It's just downright disturbing. The implications of Jesus' words here will, if we're listening, haunt us more than any Netflix horror special will. Because Jesus says stuff today that turns our world upside down. It, it flips over our assumptions and let's say it, it jump scares us with spiritual dangers that we barely knew existed. So friends, prepare yourself. The master Jesus himself is going to upset our sensitive constitutions. Are you ready? Deep breath. Am I the only one who needs it here? We're in Luke's gospel, chapter 6, verses 17 through 26. You might want to look it up in your paper Bible, your digital Bible. For those of us who are online, there's a chat bar beside, or you probably can open up your massive Bibles there at home and read along. Luke's gospel is uh, thir the third of four historically reliable accounts of Jesus' birth and ministry and teaching, his crucifixion and his resurrection. And we've been using Luke as the source material for our masterclass, we've been calling it, our message series, where we're working through Luke uh, from the position of eager apprentices. 
wanting to learn and grow. And as apprentices, taking our master Jesus seriously, mimicking his example and implementing his teachings into our lives so that we can love God and love others more fully and more faithfully. But as we know, Jesus' teaching doesn't always go down easy. Jesus has just spent the night in prayer. This is where we were last week. And chose 12 key disciples to form his inner core. And now, Luke chapter 6, verse 17, here we are. I'm reading. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, uh, from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured. And the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Let's pause there for a moment. Uh, The way I see this unfold, it's kind of like a 4K drone is swooping over the crowd. You see it? Swooping over the crowd and you can see this ministry of Jesus that is just changing the lives of desperate people. The weary, the burdened, the sick, the tormented, they're streaming to Jesus from everywhere. They want to hear him because he's teaching about the kingdom of God in a way they've never heard before. And they're being healed by him because he's got power that they've never before experienced. And this is the context, very important to remember this. This is the context in which Jesus now teaches. Jesus looks out at all these desperate people, all these needy people who have come to him for healing. And after healing them all, he then turns to his disciples, not just the 12 he'd handpicked, but this larger group of of committed followers. And he begins to teach them what it means to be blessed and what it means to be, well, not blessed. I'm just going to read this without comment and let you soak it up. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Jesus is referring to himself when he says the Son of Man. We remember that. Rejoice in that day, Jesus says, and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich. For you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now. For you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now. For you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. For that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Are you okay? I'm going to read that again, but I'm going to switch translations. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. And as you listen to it again, pay attention to your heart palpitations. How is this disturbing you? Jesus turned to his disciples and said, God blesses you when you are poor. For the kingdom of God is yours. 
God blesses you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. God blesses you who weep now, for in due time you will laugh. What blessings await you when people hate you and exclude you and mock you and curse you as evil because you follow the Son of Man? When that happens, be happy. Yes, leap for joy, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, their ancestors treated the ancient prophets that same way. What sorrow awaits you who are rich? For you have your only happiness now. What sorrow awaits you who are fat and prosperous now? For a time of awful hunger awaits you. What sorrow awaits you who laugh now? For your laughing will turn into mourning and sorrow. What sorrow awaits you who are praised by the crowds? For their ancestors also praised false prophets. Oh man, are you feeling disturbed at all? Just a little niggle in your tummy? Did you throw up a little bit in the back of your throat? (laughs) Jesus took all the things that we strive for, all the things that we work so hard for, all the things that we evaluate our life on, all the things we look to and say, that's success. And he flips them completely around because then he also takes all the things that we deem difficult, things that we avoid, things that we work so hard to get away from. He flips them around. You heard that, right? All the things we call bad in life. What were were some of those things? All the things we call bad. Poverty. Poverty. Hunger. Sorrow. Discomfort. Slander. Hatred. Exclusion. Mockery. And he puts it in the blessed box. And then... He plucks up all the things that we think are good. All the things we hope for. All the things we dream about. All the stuff we work toward. All the definitions that we have of a successful, happy life. Financial security, our needs are met. Plenty of pleasures and pastimes along with a great reputation. And Jesus plunks it all down in a, mark, in a box marked hazardous to the extreme, a box of woe and warning. Do you see that? Now, I don't know about you, but this swap is very disturbing to me. Think about it. Let it hold your attention. The very things we all deem a blessing are considered somehow to be spiritually hazardous to us. And all the things we try hard to minimize All the things that we insulate ourselves against or obsess and worry about so that they never happen to us. Jesus not only calls our situation blessed, if that's us, but tells us we should start rejoicing about it whenever it starts happening. What do you do with that? What do we do with this? I'm wrestling with this myself, friends. As an apprentice of Jesus, I find his assessment on the blessed and the not blessed troubling. Do you? 
let me offer you a few reflections. First, we need to consider who's saying this to us, Jesus. Because the difference is that Jesus is sketching out between a spiritually blessed life and a spiritually hazardous one. Jesus is actually offering himself as the perfect example of just that. And we've already seen in just a few chapters how Jesus himself was poor, he's from a poor family, how he experienced hunger already, was tested in the midst of that hunger, how Jesus has already experienced rejection and hatred and ill treatment at the hands of the powerful, the well-fed, and the wealthy, just as every true prophet had from the past. And we know more mistreatment, more slander, more hardship is obviously coming. We'll see Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. We'll see him betrayed by his own. We'll witness him undergo the most brutal form of evil torture known in his day. And yet, Jesus is the beloved son of God. Jesus is the chosen son of man. Jesus is Israel's Messiah. Jesus is the one through whom and for whom all of creation was made, finds its purpose and salvation. I mean, he is by definition the most blessed person of all. When we struggle to comprehend how being blessed can just honestly look so bad, we could acknowledge that. We need to actually look at Jesus. Because through him, we begin to see how blessed isn't measured by the standards of our day. Which is why so many people in his day, both Jews, as well as the non-Jewish population, the Gentiles, they struggled to fathom how ashamed, crucified Messiah, a failed leader, could ever be the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Because the gospel, the good news, is that a truly blessed life came to us disguised in weakness, in suffering, in shame, and in pain. Thank you, Jesus. Right? So we look at Jesus. Second, Jesus wants his followers. Remember, just think the context. He looks at all these people and he turns to his followers. He wants his close followers. He wants his apprentices. He wants his disciples to have a different perspective on suffering and sorrow. So that we perceive in the poor and the hungry and the grieving and the rejected the very essence of what it means to be a follower of the crucified yet blessed Messiah. Jesus looks around at all these people who've come to him. Right then and there, he sees them. And he sees the desperate folks that don't have some sort of inherent saintliness because they're poor or sick. That's not it. But they're a blessed people because they know their need. They know they need healing. They know they need salvation. They know how helpless they are, how weak they are, how utterly lost they are, and they know it enough to know we just got to get to Jesus, right? Some of these guys want a significant road trip to find Jesus. They know they need. You see, riches and health, power and pleasure create men and women with no need for a savior. All the good that they're enjoying actually shields them from eternal salvation. They don't come to Jesus looking for a way of salvation because they already feel saved. They already feel fine. They already feel secure. Self-sufficiency is their damnation. When Jesus, remember later in Luke, we'll come to this, later in Luke, uh, famously a rich man 
rejects Jesus' call to follow him because of the financial cost. And Jesus, reflecting on this man as he walks away, says the famous words, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone rich to enter the kingdom of God. And he wasn't joking. Self-sufficiency and salvation don't coexist. And Christians have struggled with Jesus on this point. Exactly. Down through the centuries up to today. Because as soon as we take our eyes off Jesus, I mean the moment, the moment our eyes shift from Jesus away from Jesus, we immediately begin to evaluate life, people, what's good, what's bad, what's blessed, what's not, based not on the teaching or the life of Jesus, but based on the ideologies and the idolatries of our culture. Those become the standards that we look at. And before we can say Alice the camel, we start believing that it's the rich, the full, the joy-filled, the respected, who are the truly blessed of God. And we start to look down either on others or ourselves who can never get it together, who can never make ends meet, who always seem to be falling back into some rut, who seem incapable of advancing, and we all nod our heads in agreement, yep, that seems right to us. Those are blessed, those are not. Which is what makes the teaching of Jesus so disturbing here because Jesus literally rips up our religious and ideological and cultural standards of blessing and success. He rips them up by the roots. Hey, Jesus says, hey, all of you all who think you're blessed because you've got what your culture and your crew deems the good life. Woe to you, Jesus says, watch out, be warned. But all of you who find yourself stuck, lost, poor, sick, disregarded, and insecure, take heart, Jesus says. Rejoice, in fact. Why don't you let out a whoop? Because whether you realize it or not, you got blessed, stamped all over you because you've got me. And now, with a coming reward, that'll blow your mind. And this is hard for us to grasp. In fact, a lot of Christians today Freak out every time the government or some other cultural institution or frankly just some friends down the street mistreat them or disregard them or say nasty things about them because of their Christian faith. And you think by the response of many that Christians think that somehow a life of honor, high regard, increasing wealth and health are actually what they deserve as followers of Jesus. They've got it coming to them. When Jesus clearly says here that that actually those things are the very danger signs they should be concerned about. So the next time you feel a little slight, you feel disregarded, or you feel maybe even despised, what does Jesus tell you to do? He says, when that happens, be happy. You bust out laughing. Leap for joy, Jesus says. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, Jesus says that's how, the, you know, that's how they treated the ancient prophets. Jesus wants his disciples to see suffering differently. Which leads me to my next reflection. Jesus pushes us to see our now, our present, be that a hard present or a happy present, through the lens of past and future. See how he does that? You heard Jesus. He says, glance to the past and compare how you're being treated with how the prophets of the past were treated, both false and true prophets. 
When you read through the Old Testament history of God's people leading up to the coming of Jesus, you will be struck with how poorly God's good prophets were usually treated, right? Faithful prophets who spoke God's truth to God's people and stood up for God's ways among idolatrous and unjust people were routinely abused, rejected, thrown in pits, mocked, chased, slandered, stoned, killed. It was nasty. You didn't want to be called as a prophet. Please, Lord, no. Give me another job. But the false prophets, the, the yes men and yes women who used the name of Yahweh to prop up whatever political regime or ideological idea that was popular at the time, well, they lived as fat cats in the lap of luxury. They were highly esteemed. Everyone spoke well of them with nothing to fear except for coming judgment. So when Jesus tells his disciples, take a look at how you're being treated and then compare your experience with the previous prophets. You know, if you're being treated well by the powers that be, if you're in favor with the surrounding culture, watch out. But if you're being mocked and reviled for your faithfulness, take heart. But Jesus also wants his disciples to look to the future too. Jesus wants us to know that whatever suffering we may endure now, nothing will be compared with the Father's reward that's coming. Paul said something like that in Romans, right? We don't compare the suffering we're experiencing now with the glory that's going to be revealed. And this is what Jesus wants us to see. Whereas he wants us also to see that all those who got their goods and their foods and their fun and their frivolity and their fancy invitations to banquets, well, they got their reward up front. They've spent it all. They got nothing coming next. Jesus wants us to reorient our now and our present by the Father's promised reward that's coming. Live today in the light of eternity, Jesus says. Not next week, please no. Not next year, oh, and no, not retirement either. Live it in light of the eternity that's coming. If you do that, Jesus says, you'll actually see what's truly good versus what only seems to be so. And you'll find yourself able to take joy even in pain. Well, the final reflection I want to make uh, is, I think, the most serious one. And this is what Jesus is saying here. Jesus urges us to see the darkest danger for where it truly lies. To Jesus, according to his teaching here, comfort, security, wealth, and reputation are inherently dangerous. And when we have them, hear this, folks, hear it. Tom, hear this. When we have them, we need to take them as warning signs of greatest peril. This is very disturbing teaching because what Jesus is telling us is that we should be afraid for our own souls when we feel the most comfortable when we are the most well-fed, when people speak well of us, when we're enjoying the good life. But friends, that is not how we think. That is not how I think. When we're coming up to Thanksgiving for crying out loud, we're all going to write lists of all the good things we're thankful for. And then Jesus has to say something like this. I mean, come on. 
Jesus is trying to get his disciples to see something that no one else, no one else was raised for them. No one else would call it out. No one else would draw attention to this. Jesus says, look, look around, look at life, look at history. And I can tell you, Jesus says, that you can plot the spiritual trajectory of a person's life relative to, oh, this is painful for me to say, but I'm trying to teach the word of God accurately this morning. Lord Jesus, help me. He says, you can plot the spiritual trajectory of a person's life relative to the amount in their account, relative to the fullness in their gut and the laughter in their mouth and their reputation in their town. And everything in us wants to say, but but Jesus, what, but no way, Jesus, surely you don't mean that. How many, okay, don't, don't show me your hands. But all of us are feeling this. Come on, Jesus. Give me a break. Jesus, you cannot mean, you cannot mean that my spiritual success or failure rides up and down depending on my status or my comfort or my ease or my pleasure. You cannot mean that, Lord. Surely not. And, and it's just like, I'm sorry, the other story, the rich man ruler, you know, I have the needle story. Right after that, Simon Peter looks at Jesus and says, what? Who can be saved? Is what he says to Jesus, right? Well, the rich aren't getting in. We're all lost. And Jesus' response is, well, kind of like, yeah, you're right. But with God, even the impossible is possible. Seriously, Jesus, what are you saying here? This should shake us up. And I think it's essential that we feel the shaking. I think it's essential that we feel it. Because if we can't hear Jesus here, if we can't hear him in this place, we will not see the dangers, the real, the actual, the poisonously disastrous dangers of the very things our whole culture tells us marks out a blessed and desirable life. All the things, wealth, comfort, pleasure, reputation. If we can't take Jesus at his word here, how will we ever guard against these perils? And so let me ask you, can we take these warning woes of Jesus to heart? Can we? Can we feel truly alarmed at our own comfort? Can we see the mortal danger of our wealth? My friends, my mostly comfortable, mostly rich, mostly full friends who, like me, enjoy a mostly good and secure life, we have got to let the teaching of Jesus here make us feel a little sick. We've got to have some soul disturbance to make us squirm on the couch because we feel his stark teaching and we find it deeply unsettling. We have to feel that. And simply pray, Lord Jesus, save us from our self-sufficiency. Save us from our self-sufficiency, Lord. Of course, not all of us feel disturbed by this teaching, do we? Some of you have been sitting back today and going, I do not know what you're talking about. Because this teaching is really only disturbing to those of us who enjoy much of what the world has to offer. 
There are also those among us as the church who in some ways hidden and in other ways obvious don't feel self-sufficient at all. You know your poverty. You know your hunger. You know how desperate you feel, how much you feel less than or rejected or ignored or lost. Some of you even know that with full bank accounts. You feel like the wheels of your life come off. In fact, they've been off so long, you're like a car sitting up on blocks, rusting out. You're barely holding on. You really aren't sure you're going to make it at all, like into next week, let alone next year of retirement. And you hear these words of Jesus, and you feel palpable relief. You hear these words of Jesus, and hope flares up in your heart. You realize that despite of what's happened and what's gone wrong, despite of the troubles that have come and the darkness that still lie ahead, whatever wrestling you've experienced and are experiencing, that you've thrown yourself completely on Jesus and without reservation. And because of that, Jesus looks at you and says, you are blessed, sister. You are blessed, brother. And he guarantees a full reward coming. And so you're not feeling disturbed at all this morning. In fact, you were holding out a whoop. Holding it back. Didn't want to make everyone else feel bad. Because you're finally feeling like maybe there's a chance that just maybe, just maybe, Jesus says so, life is going to be better for a very long time. And that's why the context of Jesus' teaching here is so significant. He's looking around at a bunch of people who knew their desperate need, who understood their only hope who were crushed and lost and hurt and needy, but they had come to Jesus. They had come to Jesus as their salvation exactly because they knew there was absolutely no other recourse, no other, where to, no other place to go, nobody else who could do it. And Jesus wants his disciples to see it and to get it and to get it down deep. That's how his kingdom works because he knows, he knows, he knows, he knows, he knows how history is going to wrap out. He knows how easily how and how often his followers would forget it. These people have rejected self-sufficiently, self-sufficiency, and they've come to Jesus as their sole sufficiency. And that's what Jesus wants us to see, that whatever gets us in front of Jesus, whatever gets us to Jesus, even if it's poverty, even if it's hunger, suffering, mistreatment, that that will be the greatest blessing imaginable because it got you to Jesus. But anything and everything that would serve to coddle you or comfort you or distract you or massage you, any good thing that gets in the way of your absolute desperate need for a savior, anything that creates a sense of self-sufficiency, friends, that's a danger you need to identify and resist to take heart and run away from in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're poor, hungry, grieving, slandered, but you've run to Jesus, consider yourself blessed, blessed, blessed with more good coming. And if you're rich and full and laughing and honored, well, you better run to Jesus even faster lest you find your so-called blessed life damning you to the most disastrous end of all without the one person that matters, Jesus Well, how do you apply that to your life? Oh, my goodness. I don't know how you're going to apply it to your life. I think you should, though. 
<laughs> and I think I should too. Let me suggest two things. But man, this is for you to figure out. And you know how willing I am to tell you concrete application, but I don't even want to touch this one. Let me give you some vague applications. How about that? The first one is to express your desire to Jesus to not be tricked by what the culture calls blessing. I think it starts there. Very simply saying, Lord Jesus, I don't want to live in this box. I need to depend on you. And so, Jesus, would you show me? Would you lead me? Would you reveal to me the dangers so I can resist them and follow you? And I think you've got to ask that honestly and let Jesus lead you where he's going to lead you, which for some of you will be very uncomfortable directions. That's the first thing. We just ask Jesus, Jesus, I need to depend on you. I cannot save myself. I know this. And yet there are things that trick me into believing that. Lord Jesus, help me. That's the first application. The second relates to where I believe Jesus will call us because he seems to do this all the time. And that is, he will call us to follow him into discomfort and into dependence. That is always the movement of Jesus in our lives. He'll never call you into a place where you feel more sufficient in yourself. You know that, right? (laughs) Oh, just once, Jesus, could you please just... No. He won't. Jesus will call you to follow him into discomfort and dependence. There's two ways I believe he does that. First, he will call you to serve others in ways that are uncomfortable. He'll displace you. He might call you to cross a culture or a language barrier or a cultural barrier. And he can do that. And you don't have to leave the Creston Valley. You know that. He can call you to a neighbor that you don't like. He can call you to a, uh, an ethnicity that you feel uncomfortable with. He can call you to a certain group of people. He can call you to serve in a place where you don't feel super gifted. He, he, won't, he will call you to places that make you depend on him. And so serving, engaging in the mission is part of the way Jesus will move us into discomfort so that we depend on him. It's one of the great uh, things that happens with mission trips. Have fun, Jan and Kevin. Because it moves us into places where we have to depend on him because we're in trouble if we don't. So it may be that as you ask Jesus to lead you, you have to pay attention, Jesus, where are you calling me to serve? Because, wow, that will displace us and make us, put us in a place where we're dependent on him. The second, and oh, I know you didn't want this, you did not want me to raise this, but I'm going to anyway, because Jesus does. Um, He'll also call us to give financially, sacrificially. Because the truth is, um, many of us, not all, not all, obviously not all, but many of us give financially, out of our abundance, but never in a way that causes us to have to trust God with our own lives. You know what I mean? So we'll give, but we're always safe in that giving. Oh, we might, it might pinch a touch, but not in a way that would actually affect our lives or our dependence on Jesus for our lives. And the truth is, one of the ways that God will create trust in us is when we give more away than we are comfortable giving so that we have to trust him for our own lives too. Now, I'm not saying that is not a plug for giving to the church. You should be if you're here, but that should be kind of basic. This call is to ask 
and let the Lord lead you into giving to his larger mission in ways that would actually make you uncomfortable. It would actually stretch you. You would actually then be in a place where you're having to trust God for your provision too. Serving and giving are two critical ways that God moves us into dependence on him. Some of you are highly resistant to that teaching. I understand. Go back to point number one. And then, of course, the third application is for those of us who this message wasn't really for. (laughs) Those of us who find you're in a tough spot and you're having to depend on Jesus. And to hear his word of blessing today, that he looks at you, that he loves you, that he cares for you and he promises you he's going to take care of you now and forever. And to receive that comfort and that hope. The worship team is going to come as we close in a song, but let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, uh, I struggle with this teaching because you know in my own heart I really like being comfortable and I really like people saying nice things about me and uh, all the things, Lord. And I pray, I pray that I would be responsive to your teaching here. I pray that we as a church would be responsive to you. Lord Jesus, we submit to you as our leader and ask that you would lead us to further depend upon you, whatever that means. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.